FS Fall Ag Roundtable live on AM 1330 FM 94.1 WRAM and online at radiomonmouth.com. This broadcast today courtesy of FS. It's been our legacy year after year and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. And now let's go live to the Patent Block building in downtown Monmouth and Vanessa Wetterling with the Fall Ag Roundtable. and welcome to the patent room. We are in downtown Monmouth for our second Ag Roundtable of this month as we celebrate Agriculture Health and Safety Week coming up uh, very soon. Also, today's coverage is brought to you by Growmark FS, Midwest Bank, Big River Resources, Elliott Brothers Seed Company, Pivot Bio, Monmouth College, A. Eugene Miller Agency, OSF Holy Family, Warren Henderson Farm Bureau, Compere Financial, Martin Tractor Incorporated, and Linney's Grill and Sobs. Let's meet our panel. Big thanks to them for spending their Monday morning with us. We'll start to my right. We have Mike Borzik. He is with us from the Illinois Pork Producers, also a competitive barbecuer, we've learned. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I've been working for Illinois Pork Producers as director of membership for almost 15 years now. Uh, grew up in the pork industry. Uh, family has been involved with Illinois Pork Producers uh, for well, now I'm the third generation involved with the uh, association, so uh, so been around a long time. Um, you know, went to Western Illinois University, graduated from there in 2005, and was a farm bureau manager for a couple of years. And now I'm with pork producers and been there for a while. So responsibilities are membership, and then as we discussed earlier, I went and grilled uh, pork burgers at U of I football tailgating uh, for our association here this past weekend. And you got the win for the Illini. So <laughs> go, go Illini. <laughs> To my left, I know it's hard for me being a Razorback fan, I said it, go Illini. To my left is another leather net, Mr. Brendan Marshall. He's our corporate uh, partner with West Central FS. Good morning. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm fantastic. We, on my side of town, 2.3 inches of rain. How did your customers fare? Was this good drink of water positive for the beans in our crops? Yeah, I mean, uh, depending on how long your soybeans are right now, I was, did a little driving around, so if you still have a lot of green out there, it's probably gonna add some weight. Anything that's starting to turn yellow or that, probably not so much. Um, it's still a welcome rain, though. I live west of Monmouth and two inches, and I know, you know, I've heard all the way from two and a half to three to the north to an inch to the south, but we've been awful dry, and it's surely going to help something. Okay, good. And for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. So, uh, my name is, of course, Brendan Marshall. I've been with uh, FS now for 33 years. I graduated from Western back in 1989 and started here in the Monmouth area in January, or I graduated in December of 88 and started here in January of 89. I've been a crop specialist in this area now for a little over 32 years. Fantastic. That's a good, healthy career. It's a long career. It yeah, is. It's, it's been a lot of fun, too. Retirement anytime soon? Oh, not for a while, but yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks for being here, Brendan. Troy Kazire with us. He's a former ag educator turned farm management. Uh, also, most people might remember Troy being on our panels as the past agronomy center manager with Bayer, formerly Monsanto. Welcome, Troy. Good morning, Vanessa. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Of course. Tell us a little bit about you, Troy. Yeah. So, well, like you said, was in ag ed for about uh, 14 years, and then with Monsanto and later Bayer for another 13. Uh, uh, a lot of that was managing the learning center, uh, kind of the research and training farm here south of Monmouth, and now I'm with Hertz Farm Management uh, for about I don't know, the last year and four months or so. Uh, Hertz has got about four offices in uh, in Illinois, and I'm up at the Geneseo office in Henry County. Okay, well, thank you for being here. You bet. All right, and Wendell Shaman with us. Too many awards to list for you, Dr. Shaman, but I do want to thank you for Friday and such a warm welcome you had for Lauren Lurkins, our environmental policy director that was here for the breakfast and the roundtable. Appreciate you letting the crowd know just how important she is advocating on behalf of farmers and environmental legislation. Yeah, I, you know, when you look at it, here's this, this little slim lady that's, uh, you know, really does a job for us in getting in and dealing with uh, uh, a lot of the uh, conservation organizations and, and state and federal government that, that, you know, she's pretty darn effective and I don't think a lot of people understand what she does or how important it is and how effective she is. Well, she does a fantastic job and people can email her or give her a call at the Farm Bureau. Sure. Tell us a little bit about you, Wendell. Uh, been farming for 47 years now, and that was my second career. Uh, that means I'm old. Retirement anytime soon? No. Uh, yeah, we're thinking about it, <laughs> but not too quick. I, we had an old Farm Bureau president years ago. He says this retiring is just practic practicing to die. And then I look at Donnie Ray. He's been my role model for years. He's still going. I talked to him the other day, and I don't know how old Don is. He's well into his 80s. And I says, well, who's, who's farming it now, Don? Don says, I am. He says, my son comes down and plant it, and I pick it. So <laughs> that's the guy I want to follow. Well, good. And Wendell, you've got to be happy that finally, after 25 years or more, you've been preaching about locks and dams and infrastructure. Finally, this year, something's happened. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long, long battle. It's, it, it's like, well, and I live on U.S. Highway 34, right? I mean, my house, when they ever build that thing, it's going to take my house. But the final plans on that thing, I think, are 15 to 25 years old, and they still haven't done anything. So I guess that's the next project. Uh, we've been waiting to be bought out for years. Uh, now we'll just head for a retirement home whenever they come. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for being here, Wendell. Ken Quinn is with us from Midwest Bank. Welcome. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you? I'm good. And how was uh, your weekend? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up uh, on a farm in Henry, Illinois, graduated from the University of Illinois. Uh, I spent the first 32 years of my career um, as a grain merchandiser, uh, the last 24 of those here in this area with Timmy Company and CGB. Um, I switched over to ag retail for about three years as a crop consultant, and for the, a little over the last year and a half, uh, been working as an ag lender with Midwest Bank. Well, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. With us also is Krista Swanson. She's with the Gardner Ag Research Policy, speaking of the University of Illinois, also active with uh, the uh, watchusgrow.org, Illinois Farm Families, and taking care of three babies? Um, I have four little ones. Four now. They're okay. not, well, they're still little, but 
uh, no babies anymore. They're they're between three and eight. Okay. So you've been doing this roundtable with us for a long time, too. Welcome back to the program. Yeah, thank you, Vanessa. Tell us a little bit about you, Krista. Um, so I grew up on a, a corn and soybean farm in central Illinois. I uh, went to college and then got a master's degree in ag economics from the University of Illinois. I worked for the Illinois Farm Business Farm Management Association for a year doing um, farm tax and accounting and then worked for First Farm Credit Services that's now part of Compere for close to seven years um, as a portfolio analyst. And since 2017, I have been um, in this role at the University of Illinois. I study farm economics and policy impacts on, on farm incomes um, and work specifically with the Gardner Ag Policy Program. Um, but do a lot of with the farm budgets that you see on farm doc uh, that will probably be coming up in conversation today uh, too so absolutely thank you for being here krista yeah, thank you dan bowman with us as well he's with archer daniels midland also locally here on our security savings bank board of directors welcome dan thank you vanessa thank you for having me again tell us about you well i grew up uh, in the big town of scioto or close to the big town of scioto illinois there north of macomb um born and on a grain and livestock farm there as well so i still have a couple brothers uh, maintaining that operation there i now live south of raritan another big city in west central illinois so um and i was overhearing dave uh, talk about all the rain he had gotten all summer long and we, we have been in one of those dry areas down in that territory so it's a been been a bit more challenging from a crop prospect standpoint down there and what do you do with ADM, speaking of grain merchandising? Sure. I'm in grain origination, uh, producer origination specifically. Uh, we cover basically the state of Illinois. I oversee uh, the processing plants of Clinton and Cedar Rapids and Des Moines. Uh, from a farmer origination standpoint, I have teams of, of producer originations in that group. And um, I have been uh, with ADM a couple different times, but been in the grain business going on about 28 years now. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Trevor Toland with us. Speaking of uh, Macomb, down around that area as well, he's with Western Illinois Grazing, also past Illinois Beef Association president. Welcome, Trevor. Good morning, Vanessa. Thanks for having me today. Sure. Tell us about you, Trevor. Well, I grew up uh, near Macomb on the home place where I live now, a uh, beef, uh, beef farm. And... Uh, Went to the University of Iowa on a basketball scholarship. Good for <laughs> so you. I'm a, I'm a hockey through and through for life. <laughs> and uh, came back to the area, uh, managed the, uh, after two years in the Army, came back to the area, managed the uh, home place, and uh, also was a teacher and coach and administrator for 32 years. Retired in 2001 so I could do what I really, really loved more than those things, and uh, raise beef cattle. So I've been doing that full time since 2001. I pulled back a, three years ago, uh, somewhat from that. So I've, I have a leasey now that owns all the cattle and takes care of the cattle, and I just do the dirty work, taking care of the fences and the water, and and telling him how to manage our intensive uh, grazing system there. We've got 400 acres, 265 of which is uh, intensely managed pasture and uh, about 50 paddocks there. So I've mentored uh, my guy in that for three years. He's doing great and uh, we, uh, we appreciate having uh, that kind of that work going on. 
when I step back. It's just been been great to have. And the Western Illinois Grazing Group is actually growing, and you've been the recipient of a stewardship award as a result as well. I, I'm, you know, I'm really so intensely involved in grazing now, uh, and with uh, the Illinois Grazing Lands Coalition and the grazing groups around the state that I've been facilitating this summer. We're trying to get grazing groups started, not just in the western part of the state, but uh, I started a group in southern uh, Illinois, going good now. Uh, we got a northern group starting uh, at uh, Mount Morris. I'll be up there on uh, October 5th. And we got a, a group started in uh, the southeast. So we just need the northeast part of the state. We're working on that. We've got, uh, we've acquired some pretty substantial grant money. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, grazing events uh, coming in the next year, two or three. So. Okay. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here. about that. And uh, our guest as well is past Illinois Farm Bureau Vice President David Erickson. Welcome, David. Thanks, Vanessa. And for those in our audience and those in this room, I'm going to read you something a little bit about Mr. Erickson. Due to COVID, uh, there was a delay in a special award that was given, but uh, a life filled with local, state, and national volunteer service has earned a Western Illinois University alumnus the highest award given by the Illinois Farm Bureau. David Erickson, a 1980 Ag Education graduate from Altona was presented the Charles B. Schumann Distinguished Service Award during the IFB's annual meeting in Chicago uh, last December. Erickson and his wife Nancy farm in Knox County and run a farm management business and this was supposed to be given out in 2020 but due to the pandemic it wasn't so back in December that award was given. Congratulations David. Thank you. So I gave us a tiny snippet of you. Tell us a little bit more. So I'm glad we're on the radio so you can't see me blushing now. <laughs> um, so Nancy and I do operate a family operation that uh, we began farming. Uh, we both had careers uh, prior to farming, but we um, joined in with our parents and then took over the farm management business as well. Um, it fits well together in, in what we do on the farm. and. So we're still a corn soybean operation um, that looks to, um, we, we store quite a bit of grain on farm, if not all of it. And uh, we look to people in this room to uh, help us get rid of that grain and um, at hopefully profitable levels, although they can't solve all of our marketing problems. And um, I think that, um, I think the advantage of doing something like this, Vanessa, is that um, you, you help bring the story of agriculture on so many different facets in this two-hour block and with the other round table. Uh, it gives us time to actually talk to your listeners about the meat of the issues, not just the surface that they hear on reports. So thanks again for doing it and, and for involving all of us here. It's our pleasure. And with that, let's jump right in. Uh, Dan Bowman, certainly the biggest questions out there that we learned from round table number one and from reading is, the inflation, the the numbers. What are you looking at this fall for our customers in the area for ag? And then we'll turn to Krista with some expectations on farm net incomes and how that, how all of these different avenues are going to apply. 
Sure. I, I guess starting off uh, just from a crop prospects situation, I mean, I think we have a mixed bag. I think that was mentioned Friday as well. Um, you know, I typically kind of generalize it as uh, a crop north of 34 and, and somewhere east of 67 uh, going to be a, a relatively good crop for, for guys. So, and you get in that, um, you know, south of 34 and, and back to the west towards the river and, and all of southeast Iowa, uh, certainly a lot more challenging on the growing season due to the lack of rain. So it's going to be a mixed bag. I think overall, though, um, our, our crops in Illinois, even those dry areas of west central Illinois, are, are going to be pretty decent crops for the weather we had. And I mean, that's a testament to, to a lot of different things, but, you know, the technology and, and practices that, that, we're, that we're doing out there in the country. So, I mean, overall, it's, it's going to be a, a decent crop. Um, again, for those that were short on, on the rain, it's going to be a good crop for what we had. And, and certainly the areas that we're getting the more perfect weather, um, it's going to be interesting to see how good of a crop we can raise. Um, on the topic of, you, you know, you mentioned inflation, and certainly that got the markets excited, um, you know, as well as uh, the, the war in Ukraine uh, with Russia and Ukraine kind of simultaneously. Um, you know, I think a lot of that's been traded to this point, though. Um, we need new information, new things to come into these markets to probably push things to, to those higher levels again. So uh, a lot of those stories that we've been trading for the last, you know, six or eight months have gone kind of stagnant. So uh, we just need to have some new inputs back in this market to to see where we want to go from here. And the grain market yesterday, supposedly they were going to see 13 ships that would have been ready to leave uh, the Black Sea port if it was able. Did that actually end up happening? You know, I can't answer that specifically, but, uh, you, you know, the hot topic Friday was, uh, or last week in general, was the fact that Putin said, hey, uh, the, the the agreement that we we made as far as ships leaving the port and, and going to destinations uh, is not exactly being followed. He, he thinks that um, most of those ships are going to countries that uh, more wealthy countries and not the needy countries that, that need it for uh, for food so there's a little bit of, of turmoil going on there in the markets right now trying to figure that out so hopefully we we come to a resolution there um, um, and, and can keep things moving in those channels but I you know overall um, I, I hate to be overly optimistic for Ukraine and the fact that they can freely ship grain or harvest grain or transport grain or whatever it may be. I mean, there's just, it's such a mess over there that uh, nothing can happen, happen efficiently. So it's, 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 again, it, there's a limit to how that's going to affect the markets or uh, both positive and negatively, but, but I, I just don't see them solving too many of our export issues around the world. Okay. Krista Swanson, let's talk about, you heard what Dan had to say as he gave us a good synopsis to get started here. Uh, what, what are you seeing for net income? What are projections you're looking at? What are the main topics you want to talk to farmers about today? Yeah, so, um, you know, as Dan pointed out, we have some areas where yields are looking really good, other areas where they're not. And so, of course, that depending on what that looks like on, you know, some, an individual farm, that can make a big difference in where returns end up. You know, if you, um, you know, even the difference between five or ten bushels um, starts to add up a lot and, and at the bottom line. Um, as far as 2022 incomes in general, uh, our latest budgets, which we just put out in August, um, show 2022 returns still pretty positive, even on 
on uh, cash rented land, uh, although lower than what we've seen in 2020 and 2021. Um, some reasons for that are not the the non-expectation for um, government payments, which were quite high over the last several years. Um, there was pandemic payments and uh, pandemic-related um, uh, payments and then also disaster aid. We've seen a lot of different types of payments over the past few years that have contributed towards incomes. On the flip side, we do have overall higher prices. Um, uh, for 2022, costs were still um, because we're looking at that as, as part of the crop year and the actual cost that went with the crop as opposed to the calendar year. Um, a lot of uh, farmers had bought their inputs before the large increases in prices that we are seeing as we look ahead to 2023. So I feel like 2023 income expectations are almost um, more of the hot topic right now as we're in that planning season and um, we're in the time of the year where a lot of farmers begin paying for their fertilizer and other inputs for next year's crop. Uh, that's where things get a little bit concerning um, in terms of what those profit margins look like. And Ken, you as an ag lender, you're probably looking with your farmers at margins, higher prices for corn and soybeans, but higher costs associated with that. So the net revenue, where's that margin? Uh, I mean, so far for this year, what we've seen, uh, you know, we, we've got some programs that we put our borrowers into so we can kind of track their expenses and, and the revenues and the margins, uh, you know, right now for this year look um, fairly healthy. Uh, but I think as we start to look into next year with uh, what we're seeing so far for input costs, um, those margins are going to tighten quite a bit up quite a bit for 2023 um, if these markets stay where they're at if um, the grain markets go down we might see some really tight margins in 2023 okay Wendell as a farmer and past US Grains Council chairman you heard Ken mention if margins go down uh, or tighten we, we we could see an interesting 2023 how does the Ukraine Russia the, the the grain not coming out of there or going where it needs to be Brazil having a smaller crop or projected anyway smaller crop how does that affect us here in the United States well smaller supply means Higher, higher, demand, higher prices for whoever's buying it, um, and especially. Well, take Putin at his word. He says, you know, this product ought to be going to Africa, not to where he thinks it's going somewhere else. But a lot of places in Africa have a pretty limited amount of money that that they can spend. So it's it's a, a tough market. Grains Council is doing some. I read some stuff this morning. They're doing some work in in Western Africa, trying to push DDGs in, into a market over there actually, well, for bo both as a cheaper source of protein versus soybean meal, the soybean meal prices are pretty high, and then as, as, a, as a fish food, uh, and they've been doing that all over the world. I've been up the Mekong River where they're trying to convince them to, to use uh, distillers, dried grains uh, uh, to feed fish and, and pens they have in the river over there. So there's, there's lots of moving parts. Uh, Taking, taking, you know, Ukraine, you know, I've heard all my life, I've never been over there, but said it's, it's, it's as good as ground as there is any place in the world. And when you severely limit that production, it's, it's got to affect the world, world grain balance sheet. Okay. Brendan, balance sheets, 
What can we expect for input prices, particularly fertilizer? Um, fertilizers are, are still mainly strong. Uh, it's, as, as everybody's mentioned here, the Ukraine. Um, nitrogen prices especially have fluctuated quite a bit. Um, with the natural gas going up, I mean, expect, you know, things like anhydrous ammonia to apply this fall is going to be significantly higher than it was a year ago last fall. Um, last fall inputs were relatively good, as you could, uh, farmers know, and then, you know, going into this fall, it's going to be a strong market on ammonias. And the phosphate and the potash markets are still strong too, or flat. But as I mentioned on Friday, um, there's a lot of things that could happen. Uh, we have a hurricane or something that comes into the uh, Gulf of Mexico and or heads towards New Orleans. That always makes puts a lot of fear in the market when it comes to input prices. So, um, but right now, I think we're maintaining where we should be. Okay. Mike Borzik with Illinois Pork Producers as we talk crop prospects and farm income expectations for those who have diversified farms and hogs. Uh, what do you see with trends affecting farmers for income this fall and into next year? Um, there's definitely some opportunities out there to, to make some money on the livestock side or at least on the pig side. Um, the, of course, you know, we talked about the the strain on supply when it comes to corn and soybeans, um, based on a variety of issues. Uh, of course, you know that that's our, our number one thing that we deal with on farm is uh, our number one input is feed costs. So, um, so having those higher grain costs is going to increase that. But then we've also had decent demand, uh, both uh, domestically and and worldwide for pork. Um, we our exports this year aren't as high as they were uh, the last couple years, but then we were setting records too. So you can't expect to set a record every year uh, as much as we'd like to um, but uh, so we're so there are opportunities out there in the pork industry to, to make some money uh, you know and it all comes down to your marketing whether your your future contracting where you buy your grains at and all that uh, goes into it and so uh, like I said there are opportunities and as long as you're watching the, th uh, the markets and uh, do your homework you could probably make out all right Okay. Troy Kazire with Hertz Farm Management. So you're managing farms. You hear all of this information. How do you put a playbook together for it? Yeah, well, it's, it, uh, you know, just kind of to, to reiterate what, what a, lot of, uh, a lot of these guys have said already. It, you know, things are looking a lot tighter for next year. Um, you have to really keep your eyes on the markets and, and try to get things booked. Uh, you know, at, in, a, in, in the most favorable light as possible. Um, you know, when you take a look at uh, where phosphate and potash is right now, um, you know, it's, it's held relatively steady since it took its big jumps late last fall. Um, anhydrous, uh, have, within the last couple of weeks, a lot of suppliers have actually pulled their prices and, and not been willing to even give a price. Uh, and, and the ones that have, uh, have taken a pretty significant jump. Uh, so we're, we'll have to see where that, where that shakes out. Um, uh, with with regard to crop prospects up in our area, um, you know, I would I would echo what what Dan said. To for, for the most part, we're, I would say the corn crop definitely looks better than it did last year. I think we've got some some pretty decent yields out there. Not sure about soybeans, uh, but we are seeing uh, in our area at least a uh, pretty significant area. We are seeing some disease come in. Uh, in corn, seeing a lot of anthracnose uh, stalk rot and, and a little bit of crown rot. Uh, whether or not it got a late enough start to not be a big impact on yields is kind of yet to be seen. Um, when, you get, when you get north of here, 
Uh, we're starting to see quite a bit of white mold show up in soybean, a uh, fair amount of sudden death, and in, in the drier areas, some brown stem rot. Um, so there's there's actually quite a bit of disease that's come on within the last few weeks, and and kind of keep our fingers crossed. It got a late enough start that that uh, it's not going to be a big impact on yields. Um, you know, most of those diseases we kind of associate with higher yield environments, uh, and and so you know I think there's there is a pretty decent crop out there for the most part, but um, the, this this. This wild card is uh, with, with the disease coming on. Uh, it's going to take a little bit to, uh, until we see what the effect's going to be. And Dave Erickson, same opportunity for you with the farm management aspect. You hear a lot of information so far. What are your thoughts on crop prospects and farm income expectations? And how do your crops look at some of these different farms that you're managing? Yes, it probably is variable uh, crop um, condition is what we've seen in a while. Uh, last year, you know, in our general area, in the in the Knox, um, northern Knox and southern Henry County area, they we were hit pretty hard with disease, particularly in corn, uh, where other parts of the state were not. Um, the limiting factor, I'd say, in other parts of the state, has been mentioned, has been dry weather. That may not necessarily mean a bad crop if the right amount of moisture at just the right time can sometimes make a big difference in yield. So I, I would agree that while the crop's variable, I don't know yet uh, if we're going to know uh, how it's, you know, till we get it to in the combine or on the scale, how it breaks out. Um, I think test weight in corn is going to be critical. I think bean size and, and diseases that Troy mentioned are going to be critical in soybeans. Um, so I think in general, Illinois is going to be okay um, for a crop. And I think that's important when you look at the broader industry of agriculture, when you look at the, the significant livestock industry we have in Illinois um, and the ethanol industry that we have in Illinois. Uh, as well as food processing. I think for the broader view, I think it's a good thing. I think Illinois is going to have a, a good crop that's going to help meet needs in a lot of different areas. Okay, good. Trevor, you heard, as he said, with livestock, uh, actually we've mentioned it a number of times, how about the beef industry? For those who are, are raising beef cattle, what do you expect for farm income expectations? Well, I, I hear all this discussion about uh, our row crops, and obviously that affects uh, the beef industry because of uh, the higher feed costs from uh, and, and as Mike said, that's that's our biggest uh, cost in the in the livestock industry. But we we have uh, some other things that are affecting the beef industry as a whole right now. And of course, not just I'm in that drought area with Dan Bowman. We we had an inch of rain recorded yesterday morning, and that's that's our biggest rain of the summer. So we're pretty dry. But we're not nearly as dry as about two-thirds of the nation west of us where a lot of the beef industry uh, begins. And that's, that's going to have a profound effect as we go forward because, you know, in the beef industry, we don't just change overnight and we don't change with one crop year or one, one pork round. We're affected about uh, three, four years down there, down the road by the breeding and numbers and so forth. So that uh, those drought results are going to have a long range and uh, profound uh, effects, and uh, that that could even uh, uh, work out into our export uh, business, where we've had increasing export results and it's really helped the 
cattle markets to stay up all through this COVID thing and, and everything, which has been really, uh, really welcome. But uh, as we go forward, we might even get to a point here, I think, in the next year or two where imports are going to actually exceed our exports uh, because, of these, uh, because of these results. So that makes it difficult. But in the beef industry, there's so many different ways to uh, produce. And we see it really, really uh, uh, here in our own state where our cow-calf industry here in the state doesn't just, uh, they're not just out there in pastures anymore, but they're also in, uh, in buildings. And uh, there's a, a, lot of, uh, a, a lot of people that handle beef between the pasture or the beginning of a calf to the market where uh, people eat their hamburgers or steak. So uh, it gets complicated. Sure. Is, is what I'm saying. Uh, obviously, the inflation thing is big for us as well, but uh, the drought thing is probably even bigger. And we hope that, did we learn anything from the tragedy that happened this past summer in Kansas uh, with the thousands ahead of cattle that, that perished? Did we learn anything from that? I mean, how it happened, it just it just didn't, was it just the hot weather? It, we, we've, had, uh, we've had several of those uh, problems. And, uh, you know, if you guys know from dry weather, if you get a big grass fire started, you can't, you can't stop it. And uh, uh, I know that some of my rancher friends in Oklahoma and Kansas yeah. have their own fire engines. <laughs> just for that purpose. I bet. So it's, it's, uh, cause yeah, they've been it, devastated. The drought is affected. It's not just in, uh, in our cattle numbers going down there, but, uh, in other ways as, as you bring up here. Yeah. They're still in the nineties, uh, this week in, in Kansas. I've got some friends there too, in, in the industry and it's been one scorcher yeah. in Oklahoma, Kansas. Brendan, was there any other disease that you want to bring up today that you're scouting for that Troy mentioned as a crop specialist? Well, there, as Troy brought up, there, there's a lot of anthracnose starting to show up in the corn right now. Um, in our area, we've, we were drying up. We probably didn't have the crown rot like we did a year ago. There has been a little bit of black tar spot that's shown up, but it came so late this year and still down on the bottom leaves. And tar spot, you know, that was the big talk last year, but in, in, in this area right here in Warren County, I was pretty much right in the epicenter of everything you could have. And, you know, we had crown rot that started in June, and then we had southern rust that moved up, and then the tar spot. Everybody wants to blame tar spot, and Troy could probably reiterate with me, it's a combination of three, not just the one. I mean, a corn plant's pretty resilient to handle one or two, but when you add all three, it's together. So, so far, we don't have that disease. Um, there is some sudden death I see that's starting to show up in the beans around here, but it's coming late. Okay. I have yet to find white mold, and I've been in some bean fields, and there is some brown stem rot, but a lot of that didn't come until later. And I think that the disease we had, which there was a tremendous amount of fungicide sprayed this year, and some of it was sprayed two and even three times, it, it, I was questioning whether that that was going to be a good practice. But from what I've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, it's probably helping out on some of this later uh, diseases we've had shown up. I was specifically in cornfields last year doing the, the push test, and I highly recommend listening to go out and do the push test on their corn just to make sure. But we have very good standability in the fields that I was in last year, or this year. In the fields I was in last year, you barely bumped it with your elbow and it went over sideways. And so 
that I am feeling that our crop prospect, our prospect for a, a good crop in this area is still here. Wendell Shaman, as we talk about crop prospects, farm income expectations, and price trends, will the atrazine decision affect you on your farm? At Atrazine, glyphosate, was well, there's three of them, dicamba, the uh, EPAs after all three of them, and they're all critical components to, to weed control. Uh, I mean, I paid Brendan a ton of money for herbicides this year and got pretty good control, but I've got some escapes. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on. I've, maybe I've had some nozzles. I do my own spring. I might have some nozzles that weren't working quite right because you get, get scattered. But, but it costs a lot of money to, to do that, and it looks like it's going to be the same next year. The thing I worry about is we sort of went through this, what, four or five years ago. We had a spike up in high price, and everybody's going, oh, we've had a new plateau. Well, we found out that plateau lasted about a year. And what scares me is these prices we had recently are really nice, but the expenses are really going to hit us harder next year, and can we really hold the, hold these prices? If if that price level goes down, then can it really gets ugly? Uh, so there's a lot of ifs going on here. Sure. Our plan for next year just drives you nuts. Yes. Dave Erickson, uh, can you kind of set the stage, and Troy, you're on deck for this as well, where we're at for 2023, should farmers prepare to not have atrazine, glyphosate, dicamba, should they prepare for it, and what do you do if it's not an option? I should start by saying this is way above my pay grade, but um, <laughs> I think that I have faith in the process that they will look at um, information um, and results gathered uh, in a scientific manner. They'll be reviewed, the uses will be looked at, the new technologies and formulations will be reviewed. So I'm, I'm hopeful and I think they'll eventually be worked out. I think that um, our expectations collectively as consumers are much higher than they were, you know, when I uh, not only when I started farming, but when I, you know, first helped on a farm with my dad. I mean, we have uh, a safe and abundant food and water supply in this country, and there aren't very many countries that can make that claim. And um, it's because of the benefit of, of those, um, the research and and testing that goes into those products. I've so I feel confident that we're going to continue to be able to use them. I'm not saying that we're going to be able to use them the way we have in the past. Um, uh, so we'll continue to look at it. But I, it does, what it does do is increase the cost of those products going forward. And there are all products that Wendell mentioned that should be at a low cost level because they're off patent. Um, they should, yeah. They should be able to be uh, in as many generic forms as possible. When they're not, that means it raises the price of those inputs and it raises um, all those other inputs as well. So I think it's something we got to work through, but I, I'm optimistic we're going to get ourselves through it and be able to use those products. Vanessa? Yes. Something you can do, uh, and I'm not the best one to address this, but I know Illinois Farm Bureau has has a you go to their site and you can sign a form, send a, a basically a canned letter to EPA, National Corn Growers. I know has it. I would I'd be surprised if Soybeans Association doesn't doesn't have it also. 
uh, and I've talked to people in D.C. does, you know, this is canned stuff. Now, what I do in a lot of those is they'll can I'll put my own paragraph above it and personalize it. Now, whether anybody looks at that or not, but I'm told by people out there that they actually do, or at least they count them. And uh, that a lot of them are, are read. Now, I find it a little hard to believe because there's got to be thousands of these things coming in. Uh, but even the people in Washington say it makes a difference. So get on these sites and, and, and let your displeasure be known. Yes, the, and you're talking about the, the, it's called the activator, of course, with our local Farm Bureau, too. Um, so commenting period. Let's get on it. Good, good advice, Wendell. Troy? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would, I'm probably less confident than David is in, the, in that they're going to follow sound science uh, uh, when, when it comes to their, when it comes to their final recommendations. They are in the, the, I mean, this is proposed regulation right now, I believe. There is a comment period. Uh, I, I definitely would, would uh, reiterate Wendell's comment that uh, take advantage of that. Um, uh, personalize your comments. They, I, I, that's what I have heard as well, that they do get read, they do, they do look at them, they do take that into account. Um, you know, uh, the, these are important tools. Uh, you know, the, we do need to be sensible about how we use them. I'm just thinking right now, I have a, I have a farm uh, up in, in kind of northeast Henry County, um, coarse soils, a lot of sandpoint wells out there. We don't use atrazine on that farm. I mean, you know, if, if you do, if you're not careful, it's going to end up in the groundwater. So, you know, we, it's, it's a little more difficult to manage weeds on that farm, but we, you know, we, we, we use a different plan. Um, but it is an important tool. We do need access to it, uh, the, you know, Dicamba 2,4-D. Um, and, and I think the, one of the bigger issues here is the uncertainty that it creates. Um, you know, when guys are figuring out what seed pack, you know, seed trait packages they're going to be buying for next year, when they're thinking about what their chemical plans are going to be next year, and, and they don't know if they're going to be able to spray this stuff, um, that, I mean, that really throws a monkey wrench into things, and it makes it incredibly difficult to budget and plan ahead, um, and, and that's, that's not good for anybody. And for the producers, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Brendan, any final thoughts on atrazine, glyphosate, or dicamba? Well, I've been here in 33 years doing this, and when I first started, and Troy, you probably know the figures on us. Was it back in '90? Is that when atrazine kind of went under the deal where you could only, where they restricted use? So I think when I first started, there were still people applying three, four pounds the acre. Mm -hmm. um, they also then talked about a point source, staying away from uh, creeks where the water's going to flow into, or standpipes and that and watching out for ground wells, uh, wells out in the field. And, and I can honestly say that a lot of the, the, when we do or we're spraying, I mark those type of things on maps so we can stay away from them. Uh, we, I had a, a house that was sold in the country and a year ago, and the people buying it actually wanted a request to see what had been sprayed there because they were questioning whether or not it had. And I showed them on the work order and where I had highlighted, stay 66 feet away from this. And it went through fine. Hmm. I mean, but going with atrazine, I hate to see it, it leave because atrazine, a small amount of atrazine, especially post-applied, let's say just a pint, can take another product and make it a great product instead of a good product. When you combine the two, you have two modes of action that makes things excellent. Or even in a pre-plant, you know, with you're using acetochlor that has atrazine with it, you're reducing the rates of both, and you're, or you're reducing the amount of the active ingredient of both by doing that, 
and you're getting two modes of action to try to control water hemp, which is very hard to control. So, but as you brought up, sometimes scientific thinking doesn't go involved in this, and sometimes it can be a little bit more radical. And so, I'm confident we're still going to have it, but I think use rates will probably be restricted even more than what we have now. Krista? Yeah, I wanted to make a comment too to follow up kind of um, thinking about the seed perspective, both um, my husband sells seed and then also as a farmer as well. But what Troy said, I, I think too, not only does it make it challenging for farmers, um, you know, trying to figure out what seed package to buy and, it, you know, do I need to be worried about is the herbicide that goes with this seed um, um, going to be available for me to use. Uh, I feel like the other challenge or the thing that concerns me when we start taking away or restricting to the point that it makes it not affordable to use um, or feasible to use uh, and limiting the seed selection on the market. I know, I mean, if you think back, I feel like a few years ago it was a big topic that, um, you know, seeds had become concentrated um, and are uh, so speaking about soybeans in particular, if you if you push everyone to one direction, it sort of um, restricts some of the seed availability as well. And I think that becomes a problem. You know, it makes it so there's um, some that isn't as feasible to use, I guess I should say, or it makes it more of a challenge to use. That's something that concerns me right now, too. And you hear all of this, and, and Dave Erickson, I'll throw this question at you. And in the same breath, you've got land prices going up. I mean, one we were just talking about Friday was about $20,750 an acre. So that can change margins on a cash rent basis. What are your thoughts about the prices? Um, I'm amazed, I guess, that uh, land prices continue to stay high on when you look at it from a production standpoint. What's the capability of the return uh, based on those sorts of prices? The rate of return is not very good. Um, so, but on the other hand, when we talk about the other things in the in the the world or the global economy, um, and the impact that inflation's had on so many different things, um, then I guess it's not too surprising that farmland, a solid asset, um, has been a place where people look to make investment. So I think you have to look at um, you separate those. I think two different sides of why you would invest in, in farmland. One of them is, you know, um, it's next door and uh, Wendell knows the old farmer adage, I don't want to own all the farmland, just the one next yeah. to me, you know, and that go, <laughs> keeps going the next. Anyway, uh, but investors, I think, are looking at it from a hard asset. There is a return. It may not be a great return at those high dollar amounts, but there is a return, and I think if, uh, as long as they remain, um, you know, reasonable in, in what they think they can get from it. But if you think you're going to get a 3% return on fifteen dollars to $20,000 farmland on an annual basis, um, we've never seen it before. I don't know what, what means we're going to see it now. So um, it's, but a lot of buyers tend to be local or farmers who have connections with people who, who want to invest in farmland. So um, it's still, you know, it's still a good investment for some, but it's not a good investment when you look at those prices relative to what it'll actually earn uh, on its own. Troy? 
Yeah, I, I, I was going to make a point actually that, that David said there right at right at the last. We are seeing so that there there are some there are investment groups out there active in the uh, uh, in in farmland acquisition, but but they are they're they are focused on return and and they're they're pushing prices to a certain level. Um, but as David said, what we're primarily seeing in, in most of these farm sales is, is, is it is local farmers uh, buying buying this land, and um, uh, it, 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 there's a lot of variables in play, and, and it, it you know depends on your geography, and it depends on whether it's an adjacent uh, landowner or, or what. But but these uh, uh, when when you see the the investor groups in play, um, that's not really the Seventeen, nineteen, twenty thousand dollar per acre uh, sales that we're seeing. That I would say, based on the stats that we've got, somewhere around sixty to seventy percent uh, of of these farms are still being purchased by by local farmers. Ken, how does this affect the ag lending side? These prices. Well, when you know, when we sit there with a with a farmer that wants to buy ground at twenty thousand dollars an acre with the interest rates. Um, He's got to have a lot of other rented ground or owned ground that's paid for, uh, you know, to make that look good on paper. You know, that's not going to look good on paper when we're sitting down thinking about, um, you know, writing him a loan. So, um, but, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, comes to mind when you see some of these land prices is, you know, right now, um, you're hearing a lot of talk about solar farms coming in, and I've heard up to $2,000 an acre rents being paid by these companies that want to put up solar farms. So that might be something we start to see down the road is uh, maybe groups buying up farmland in large chunks to um, turn around and rent up for solar farms. So. Um, it's yeah i i can't see that these twenty thousand dollar an acre uh sales can go on for a long time and be profitable but uh, it seems to be the trend right now dan bowman you've heard a lot of, of discussion here and as a grain originator as well this is a lot to take in and think about for the fall and into 2023 yeah it is and i, I mean all those input uh, costs and, and land prices and, and whatever uh, aside, I mean, we still have high commodity prices. I just don't know if they're high enough, and I don't know if it's uh, reasonable to, to ask the markets to to overcome those increases as well from a long-term perspective. I mean, usually in the grain markets, uh, you know, we get cycles of uh, 18 months to two years, and, and that's about all we see, and, and, and we've surpassed that with the values we're at today and, and still hanging in there very well. So, um, you know, the thing we have today versus the, the, the first two years of, of this cycle in my opinion, though, is uh, you know we're on the more on the backside of issues where we still have supply issues around the world, um, but we're starting to see demand issues as well. And and I don't know whether that's a factor of uh, again whether it's just price, uh, you know, high prices cure high uh, high prices situation, or or what it is, or just other markets around the world having issues. But we certainly are seeing problem. I mean, cattle cattle numbers being way down. I mean, obviously that's a factor in the in the grain markets as far as less demand there. Uh, the export markets. Uh, 
you know, South America has certainly uh, raised a bigger corn crop maybe than we thought they would. Uh, the bean crop was subpar down there for this crop year, but here they are again starting that cycle all over. And, and when you're at the start of a production cycle in South America, uh, the sky's the limit, uh, it seems like, on what they can raise, on paper anyway. Um, so you have that issue as well coming forward. Um, ethanol margins uh, are, are a little more in question today than what they were throughout this period. Um, and, and like I say, going back to the export side of it too, our relations with China are certainly um, as volatile as they've ever been. So I mean a lot of uncertainty on the demand side and uh, from a production side we're going to get this thing dialed in a lot better. We have another government report today. So from a production issue, um, we're going to know where we're at pretty, pretty close. Um, real soon as the combines start to roll. So it'll all be about the demand side of it more so than anything. Okay, thanks for the updates too on South America. Wendell? Well, you, you come back, but I think Brazil's already announced that they're going to increase soybean acres again next year, and I think reasonably significantly. Argentina government, which is an absolute mess down there, but has, has changed their export rules to make it easier to, to for the those guys to export beans. So that's putting more beans on the world demand. And the China COVID slowdown over there is lowering the demand of one of our major major uh, markets, one of the you know, major world markets. Plus Brazil is in particular, and maybe Argentina is both improving their, their facilities as far as efficiencies for getting grain moved out and the cost difference between U.S. grain transportation and, and South America is, is going down somewhat. So there, there's lots, lots of moving pieces here. Okay. Earlier this morning, we got a press release. All of the commodity groups were together. I'm sorry, who was... Vanessa. Oh, I'm sorry, Troy. <clears throat> Vanessa, could I just interject sure. one thing here? I'm, I'm hearing all the green guys talk about $20,000 land, and I'm not interested in $20,000 land. I'm really not. interested in the $5,000 <laughs> land. And, and uh, I'm thinking if it, today's markets uh, or the bankers or where 3% return would be really good, wouldn't it? Your mutual funds are minus right now. And, and your CDs are hardly anything. So I think 3% would be great. So on $5,000 land, that's uh, 3%. What is that, 150 bucks, huh? So if I uh, graze in a, in, a, in a really good way, management intensive grazing, and uh, have the cattle to do that, and uh, I get uh, 200 uh, animal units off of that over nine months. What's an animal unit worth? What's what's uh, that? Uh, custom grazing is probably a buck and a half for a cow. So a buck and a half times 200, that's gonna that's gonna be a profit. And I have a hard time convincing the bankers of this, <laughs> but I have the records to prove that that you can you can easily. Through good management, you can produce 200 animal units in a grazing year per acre. So you have a nice return off of $5,000 land. And when I talk to my grain farming neighbors who are saying, I'm not going to make any money this year off of marginal land, I'm speaking of, maybe that they should not be gr grain farming, then uh, I can say, well, Maybe you ought to think about uh, a different enterprise. And I think for young men in a family who want to get involved and become part of that operation, 
and they have marginal land, then that ought to go back to something else, perhaps. Okay. Mike Borzik with Illinois Pork. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Trevor brought it up. Uh, when you have uh, some, uh, some, some ground that, or, or maybe even a family member that's wanting to come back to the farm, we've seen this over the years uh, with, within pork production is we have uh, what we call contract growing is basically you put up the barn and somebody else brings in the pigs, you provide the labor, um, you get the manure off of it, manure goes on your farm ground, helps you decrease some of your costs so you don't have to buy so much uh, anhydrous fertilizer, um, and then it also gives you a steady income that every month you're getting something coming in. Uh, so we've been seeing that for 20 plus years now, I think, uh, on the contract growing side. And we've um, seen a lot of expansion, a lot of people coming back to the family farm uh, for that reason, because they've been able to do something like that. And um, of course, over the last couple of years, uh, because of how everything's been going in the markets everywhere and people shut down and all that fun stuff, um, we haven't seen that expansion happening uh, in the pork industry over the last couple of years. But we're starting to see it pick back up a little bit um, here over the, in the last you know six, eight months. Um, again, picking up a little bit, not still not the levels we were before. Um, but uh, there is, like I said earlier, there is opportunity in the pork industry. Uh, so if that opportunity continues, then we can see more expansion happening in Illinois. And before we go to break, uh, it's 10.56, you also wanted to share with our audience, it's still a problem with this Proposition 12, and you were very adamant that our farmers should be aware of this even more so now than last year. Yeah. So Proposition 12, for those that have been at any of our pork producer meetings for the last 10 years, we've been talking about this Proposition 12. It's out in California. Uh, it was passed a few years ago where uh, they are trying to restrict how we raise animals here in Illinois in order to sell that pork uh, in California. And uh, now we've also got question three, which is in Massachusetts, which is essentially the same thing, but just a little bit different. Um, and, and what uh, the National Pork Producers Council has partnered with uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation and uh, gone together on a lawsuit against Proposition 12 out in California, which we're finally starting to see progress. Um, it's made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, uh, the United States Supreme Court, and it'll be heard sometime this fall. Um, and we will, uh, I think oral argument is supposed to be sometime here in October. Um, and those, no that process that. will move forward but, uh, and we'll have a decision likely first part of next year. Um, and so we'll see where we end up uh, on that particular revenue or avenue. Uh, but, uh, you know, both of those, question three and prop 12, uh, are restricting on how we raise our animals Whether in Illinois. Um, it has to do with gestation stalls, how, how many days they can fields. spend inside of a stall, Money how many um, how many square it's feet, and that's if they get to be in a stall at all. Uh, it's group housing. But we talked earlier about the atrazine and the dicamba and you know wanting to use science and, and how we make these decisions. We've known in the pork industry for a long time that gestation stalls work well for the animal, provides individual care. There's no boss sow beating up on everybody else to get to the food. Um, so it's, it's been a lot better for animal welfare. But we have these other groups that are going against us on this, and that's where Proposition 12 comes from. Um, so again, it's something that we've been pushing on. We've been working on it for 10 years, and we're finally getting to the point where we can actually maybe see some results here. Okay. 
Hopefully we get some results. Dave? I was going to say, uh, you know, this is not just a livestock issue. Obviously, as it relates back to, to grain farming as well, but it's a bigger um, issue on interstate commerce. I mean, if if we're limited in where we can sell things state to state based on how it's grown or where it's grown or how it's processed or who processes it, I mean, it's it's a landmark case. Um, I think that's why uh, so many agricultural groups have gotten involved in, in this Proposition 12 and Question 3 thing. And, it, and it's way bigger than just the pork industry. And think about the impact of the pork industry and employment here locally uh, in Monmouth and how that might change things as well. So it, it's a big deal that we shall be paying attention to. Well, you're absolutely right. It is uh, on definitely a discussion amongst all pork producing plants, including those operating here and in California and across the nation. Uh, it's a very, very big deal and on their, their radar, not just Smithfield, there's other uh, plants as well that it affects. But also, um, you think about something like that, that's a state level piece of, gov of policy that could impact a different state where that production is done. So that's that's going to be interesting what the Supreme and, Court decides. And that's what we're arguing for the Supreme Court is through the uh, Dormer Commerce Clause that is the interstate commerce and you know somebody telling us, uh, somebody from outside of Illinois telling us here in Illinois how we could, or how to do things in order to sell products to them. And for the pork industry it's a big deal because it's 15 percent of domestic consumption is in California. Um, now, we're, we're not saying that you have to use gestation stalls, we're not saying you have to use group housing as an industry, we just want you to have the freedom to operate. That's the same, you know, same arguments can be said about the dicamba and atrazine is that we just want you to have that tool in your toolbox if you feel like you want to use it. Um, you know, again, as an industry we're not saying you have to go one way or the other. We're just saying that we want you to have every tool available to raise pork the way you should, you want to, and have it available for people to eat uh, at a reasonable price. Okay. And one other thing that we're not going to spend any time on, because uh, we don't know if it's going to happen or not happen, is I did do some research based on Friday's Ag Roundtable, and Representative Dan Swanson was here. He has friends in the BNSF uh, industry, and uh, Reuters, CBS, NBC, all of them put out uh, notification this weekend that there is a potential uh, discussion of a strike uh, this coming Friday with Union Pacific and BNSF, which could certainly impact, as we've spoken a lot about demand, um, and the supply chain. We just seem to be getting that supply chain back in line. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Wendell? Also, Los, Los Angeles port. They're, they're negotiating there with a possible strike going on. And that was so messed up. Or just, I don't think they're caught up from the backlog before. And if you throw another strike on it, what's that do to us? Let's hope that those things don't happen and the cooling off period occurs and they're able to actually negotiate. Let's, let's hope for the best. 1101 WRAM Monmouth, Illinois. We will take our break, come back, and start Hour 2 with the FS Ag Roundtable. We'll be back in 10 minutes. When you think of home, you think of warmth, comfort, and peace of mind. And that's exactly what you get when you choose propane from FS. With propane from FS, you get our well-trained professional staff, along with an array of products and services designed to ensure that your propane system is functioning properly and efficiently. Add to this a variety of convenient terms and ways to save money, and you've got the right solution to all your home energy needs. Contact your local FS propane specialist today. FS Propane. Feels like home. Visit fspropane.com. Your credit score doesn't matter, said literally no one ever. Hi, I'm Madison from Midwest Bank. 
Credit scores have become such a fundamental part of our daily lives. That's why it's so important for you to continually track your score and understand how your financial decisions affect those three numbers. With Midwest Bank's free My Credit Score service, you can check your credit score daily without any impact to your score. My Credit Score allows you to set up real-time credit monitoring alerts and learn about the factors that make up your credit score. There's even a credit score simulator that allows you to see how your current score would change based on a variety of different actions or events. The best part is that you can do all this through your Midwest Bank online or mobile banking. We provide you with safe and easy access to your credit score and report anytime, anywhere. No need to download another app or create another login. Enroll now through your Midwest Bank online or mobile banking and check your credit report today. Midwest Bank, strong, honest, loyal. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. McGrew Feedlot Equipment just west of Avon, Illinois, has everything you need for feeding and watering your livestock. They believe every farmer deserves only the best products and equipment, and for nearly 40 years, McGrew has been providing just that. Stop in today and check out their inventory, including new mixer wagons by Coon Knight and feeder wagons by Vermeer. And should you need service, McGrew is there to provide that also. When you need feedlot equipment, make McGrew Feedlot Equipment your first stop, and you won't have to make another. McGrew Feedlot Equipment, just west of Avon, or online at McGrewFeedlot.com. Based in the heart of the Corn Belt, Big River Resources is processing your corn into renewable fuel and feed products. Located near West Burlington, Big River Resources produces nearly three gallons of ethanol for every bushel of your corn as well as dry distiller's grain. Big River Resources seeks to improve and stabilize the agriculture economy of our region by establishing corn-based ethanol as the premier renewable fuel. Call 800-463-9850 for more information or go online to BigRiverResources.com. You are invited to attend the 6th Annual Wiswell Robeson Lecture with guest speaker Mike Adams, longtime host of AgriTalk and Adams on Agriculture, a nationally syndicated radio program. The event occurs at 7 p.m. on Monday, September 12th at Monmouth College's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. Mike Adams' lecture will include information about the news media. Join us for the 6th Annual Wiswell Robeson Lecture featuring Mike Adams, 7 o'clock Monday, September 12th at Monmouth College's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. When you buy John Deere equipment, you expect reliability. With the Operations Center on MyJohnDeere.com, you will always have your farm in your pocket. It is easy to use and connects you with your machines, fields, and operators. It allows you to access information anytime, anywhere to see, collaborate, and direct your operation with precision, so you can concentrate on the work in the fields. We're ready to keep you farming and farming better. Martin Tractor, we help grow. Visit one of our 13 locations or online at MartinTractorInc.com. From ABC News, I'm Sherry Preston.